Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On the app, on your smart speaker, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is Thursday as we get ever nearer uh, to Coronation Day. It is Coronation Week here, of course, at Talk TV. And we've got plenty to talk about this morning. More rehearsals last night. Uh, Believe it or not, uh, the King and the Queen Consort, I think, are going to be popping down to the Dog and Duck. Uh, an actual pub called the Dog and Duck uh, in Soho later on today, maybe in this show. So we'll bring you a bit of that. Isabel Oakshot's here as well. We'll be talking to her about what's going on in Russia, what happened at the Kremlin uh, with that drone strike. Was it, in fact, something cooked up by Vladimir Putin himself? Uh, did it really come from Ukraine? Nobody really believes that. Also, we'll be talking about yet another wokest university uh, who have decided to take the word woman out of its maternity leave policy document. Brilliant. Also, there's a COVID inquiry story that she wants to talk about as well. Plus, of course, uh, we'll be talking to Rupert Bell, who's down in Westminster for us, uh, with all the latest on the security, on whether it's going to be possible for people to demonstrate against the coronation, whether it's going to be possible for people to demonstrate uh, for Just Stop Oil. All of the things that people care about right here, uh, right now, on this particular show. Uh, Also, we'll be talking about ULES expansion, because we've now got some Tory MPs getting behind the idea uh, of saying to Sadiq Khan, no, thank you very much. We won't be having it here. Also, uh, we'll be talking about thought crimes, Elon Musk and Ireland as well. 0344 499 1000. Have you seen that ship in the Thames, by the way, as well? It's called the HMS Diamond. Apparently, it can work both as a party boat uh, and as a destroyer of missiles that might or might not be incoming uh, on the big weekend ahead of us. Amazing stuff. 0344 499 1000. Also, fish and chips are costing too much money and much else besides. We'll be taking your calls all throughout the day. 0344 499 1000. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. I will also be asking you the question, why on earth do prisons cost quite as much money as they do? An incredible story in The Telegraph today uh, in which it reveals that sending teenagers to prison, a specific prison down in Kent, costs six times the annual fees at Eton College. Now, you might say, well, as long as it works, I suppose £275,000 a year is all right. But is it really? Is it really right that it costs that much money? Maybe we should just send them all to Eton and be done with it. Let's say very good morning to Isabel Oakshot. Isabel, um, how are you this morning? I think that's a great idea. I think if they young people could be distributed across various private schools at a fraction of that cost, 
the I'm actually being serious yeah. here. No, I'm not joking the either. Palms that you would get would be way better. Yeah. I'm not talking about putting ten or twenty of them all in in a kind of cohort because that would clearly be a disaster. Mm. But if each top private school would take one or two, yeah. Um, at the taxpayer's cost, for a fraction of what it costs to put them in a young offenders, I genuinely think the outcomes would be way, way better. Of course they would. They would be far better. transform those young lives, give them the hope of a proper future contributing to society. Mm. It's your policy. You dreamt it up in the independent republic. (laughs) I am loving it. Yeah, I think it's great. Well, I think we now need, in politics and and in society a sort of slightly different view of the world, don't we? Because all the old views of the world don't work. So let's be a bit more creative. Yeah, got to be creative. And you know what? The private schools are very keen to do... I'm not saying this particular policy because we haven't tried it out on them, but they are very, very keen to reinforce their status as a net benefit to society as a whole. So I think there'd be a very positive hearing for this. I mean, public schools or boarding schools already uh, will take a number of pupils from very poor backgrounds with um you know with a lot of promise very bright pupils so this is just an extension of that really um of course there'd be an outcry as to why this kid that's been a you know routine shoplifter and perhaps done other dreadful things besides Mm. should be given the benefit of a top education and the answer to that is that their um rehabilitation and transformation into a positive member of society is actually a benefit to everybody. It is indeed. And let's face it, you know, the £275,000 that they're spending per year on each person going into this place is a waste of money anyway, because they're not coming out as a better individual or a more worthwhile kind of member of society. They're just going to come out and re-offend, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, you can see the Daily Mail headline now, can't you? You know, commit a crime, get free boarding school place. You know, You're it's... Right. So you've, you've got to find a way of um, managing this so that it isn't seen as a, OK, I'm just going to go and um, attack a few people and then I'm going to get a free education. Right. Uh, but there's got to, there, there must be a creative and sensible way of managing this such that it's not perceived that people are being rewarded um, for their bad behaviour. But at the same time, we're getting more creative about how we actually turn people's young people's mm. lives around and and maybe it's not a posh boarding school maybe it's something else maybe it's i don't know paying good and honorable families to take people in in the way that they do for i'm just chucking ideas yeah. out well listen um, this is what we should be doing and what, what about you know even putting them into some kind of apprenticeship scheme teaching them something so that they can learn how to do yeah. things you know yeah yeah, and contribute. So that's our first positive idea. There you go. Well, there you go. And who knew we could start off with that particular subject on Coronation Week? Because I was going to kick off with Coronation Week, saying to you, uh, we've now got sort of almost down to the wire. We're not quite yet at full, you know, you know, sort of cover to cover coverage where we don't talk about anything else. But it's kind of getting like that. Um, we're looking forward to uh, Saturday. We've got a boat in the Thames now called the King Shield in the Sun, the HMS Diamond, which can apparently also double up as a party boat. So that's quite good. So it can fire missiles out of the sky at a range of 250 miles if it needs to. But you can also uh, have a glass of champagne on it. 
I think we should book it forthwith. I mean, <laughs> once, once it's finished its duty, it sounds like just the place for the talk TV summer party. It really does, doesn't it? Well, I we mean... We fire the... some missiles, metaphoric, of course, perhaps at The Guardian. Yeah, well, absolutely right. I see that they're now claiming that the people who agreed to let that cartoon go out, which has now been silenced and, si- and snuffed out, um, say they did not know that Richard Sharp was Jewish. Well, the cartoonist knew he was because he went to school with him. Oh, honestly, I mean, it is just ridiculous. It would be nice to see um, The Guardian actually being accountable, wouldn't it? Um, But anyway, it's also a pleasure to see them actually um, having to kind of uh, justify themselves over the last week over this huge blunder. Yes, absolutely. It it would be nice to imagine that this would make them generally and institutionally less sanctimonious, but I'm not holding my breath. No, exactly right. So amongst one of the things, or some of the things that the slimmed down monarchy's doing is we've got Kate and William, Prince and Princess of Wales, visiting the dog and duck, uh, literally the dog and duck, in Soho later on today. I think we might be covering it on this show. So that's quite interesting. I can't, I mean, the pictures should be fun. I, I don't know why, I just have a slight feeling that this could go wrong. I'm not quite <laughs> sure why. It's something about the name of the pub. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure I have a good feeling about this. Um, but at least we'll get some happy sunshine pictures, hopefully, um, before, unfortunately, the weather just looks absolutely dire yes. over the weekend. It really um, does. Yeah, it's it's a real shame, but it's just going to be ultimately very British, the whole thing, isn't it? And there'll be a load of Union Jack umbrellas and somehow or other it'll still work out. Somehow or other it'll still work. Yeah, apparently they're thinking of cancelling the fly pass because you won't be able to see anything. <laughs> I mean, this reminds me, wasn't it the was it the um, Golden Jubilee? Or what was the, the one where you could hardly see the yes. floating down the tent? Yeah, it was the one where, where um, uh, it was all the way down the boats and, and you couldn't see you anything. Couldn't and see poor yeah. old Prince Philip became quite un- well afterwards, I seem to remember. So cold. <laughs> exactly right. But I mean, I suppose the big story at the moment is still the security, the amount of police that are going to be out there on the streets, and of course the protesters and whether they should be allowed to protest. I mean, I don't know what your view is, but I'm I'm kind of with Bob Seeley, who this morning explained quite well to Julie Hartley Brewer, basically that, you know, it's one thing to protest if you want to hold up a placard, that's fine. But if you're going to try and disrupt, if you're going to try and sort of ruin the day for everybody by gluing yourself to something or lying down in the road or shouting loudly, that's probably not appropriate. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with that. I think silent protests would be okay, you know, if you want to put up banners, but don't spoil it for everyone else. Don't spoil it also in terms of Britain's place, uh, you know, in the the eye of the world's media. Uh, We don't want a bunch of raggy people with their dogs on strings and their lentil shoes, uh, you know, disrupting things, screeching and um, being pathetic. That's not Britain. It's not representative of our country and certainly not representative of way, uh, where the majority is at uh, in terms right. of the state of the monarchy and support for the event as a whole. Um, I'm also very concerned about this suggestion um, that the protesters may try to spook horses. Uh, you know, these horses will be, of course, very, very well trained uh, not to bolt at, uh, at the sound of um, minor explosions and so on. But anyone who's uh, who understands horses and yes. has dealt with horses knows that anything super unexpected can make a horse take off. And in the amount of crowds that there will be, um, that could be pretty dangerous. So 
anyone who does that, I think, should be um, made an example of through the courts. And I, I hope that they don't go down that route. Yeah, you know, I hope not as well, because I think it's just one of those days that it will be uh, Britain on show. It will be Britain sort of in the uh, eyes of the international world. People will all be looking at it, even if they're not looking at the whole thing. They will know there's a coronation. They will know there's a new yeah. king. You know, and it's and it's a shop window apart from everything else. There's a lot of tourists here at the moment as well. And oh, I think, yeah. you know, it's it's still something uh, for those who, who are Republicans. Um, it is a thing that Britain is still famous for. Yeah, and we do it well and the colour and the pageantry. It will be fabulous, whatever the weather. And I just I really just want it to be brilliant. Um, and, I, and I'm not you know, I don't feel I think many of us have a few reservations about um, King Charles and Queen Camilla, I think many of us feel, you know, instinctively it would be kind of nice if we could have just skipped down to um, William and Kate. But we are where we are. And I think majority of people do want this to be a success. And most people are planning something a bit special for the weekend, even if it's not a street party in the rain. Mm. It's making a coronation cake or, or something because it's a historic occasion. I've got young children and I'd like them to remember this for one reason or another. Yeah, absolutely right. It will define a lot of things. And it's right that we talk about it. And it's right that we consider whether, you know, the monarchy is something that Britain should always have for the rest of time. And it's right that we should consider what happens after Charles hands over the baton to, to William. You know, but it doesn't mean that everybody has to, to go out and scream at each other in the style of the old, you know, anti-trans brigade and all of that stuff that goes oh. on. You know, shouting at each other in Hyde Park. I just, I find, I don't know if it's, I'm just getting a bit too old and soft, but it, it all seems terribly un-British to me. I mean, have an argument with somebody, you don't have to shout at them like some mad American. We we would never do that on talk TV. No, would we? we certainly we, would not. We don't Absolutely. do that. We, we disagree agreeably. That's yes. All. Well, I mean, you and I disagree on quite a lot of things, but we always manage to do it with a smile. I don't understand why other people can't actually seem to manage that. But let's talk a bit about um, your international uh, hat wearing situation. We've got uh, that drone being uh, shot down over the Kremlin yesterday. I don't think there's too many people around who think it actually did come from Ukraine or was somehow operated by uh, someone uh, with Ukraine in mind. Um, but it has kicked off a sort of um, a zeal, we're told, in Russia uh, for a bit more of an offensive from Putin. Which is precisely what it was intended to do. I have just literally in the last 20 minutes spoken to an exceptionally well-placed source uh, within Ukraine's armed forces. And they told me uh, that this categorically was not a Ukraine initiative. Mm. Uh, it, it's absurd to imagine uh, that the Ukraine uh, armed forces would 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 make this kind of attempt. You know, it's pathetic. It was never going to get anywhere. Um, you know, that's not how an effective uh, lethal drone strike would be conducted around probably the most protected airspace in the world. So ludicrous. Mm. Uh, imagine that this is can be traced back to Ukraine. It's quite evidently an attempt by Russia to shore up, by the Kremlin to shore up domestic support in an increasingly flagging uh, and high cost operation, which at the moment looks like it has no end. Mm, exactly right. Because up until now, the, the, the sort of mood music over the weekend was more about the fact that perhaps the Ukraine, uh, the Ukraine situation is worse than everybody thought. And, and reading all of those kind of articles that we see uh, appearing in, in some of the papers like the Sunday Times and the, uh, the Sunday Telegraph, you wonder whether that's all about just getting more money into the Ukrainian war chest. 
I think it's it's quite difficult for people to assess. And I certainly feel because this conflict has gone on so much longer than anyone anticipated, there is perhaps a sort of um, fatigue has set in in terms of the public appetite for the coverage day to day. And, and I think many of us have lost sense of what is the state of this conflict now? Which bits of Ukraine um, does Ukraine still fully control? Which bits are contested? Uh, I think it's quite hard to lose track both of the um, smaller picture and zooming out where things are at. Uh, but one thing's clear, this isn't ending anytime soon. Uh, but yet those on the ground in Ukraine um, still seem to be, despite the fact that the cost has become so astronomical on every level, optimistic that they will ultimately triumph and absolutely uh, in no shape or form ready to, to back down or cede any territory, whatever um, you know, Chinese so-called peace mm. brokers might think is the solution. No, quite. Stay where you are, if you would, Isabel. We've still got to talk about the COVID inquiry. We've got to talk as well about the latest wokish university where they've banned the word woman uh, from their maternity policy. Unbelievably. Uh, this is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Lots going on today. We'll be bringing you uh, live action, hopefully, from a pub in London uh, where William and Kate are going to be popping down for a drink uh, a couple of days before uh, the proper coronation. There's all kinds of uh, rehearsals going on again overnight. Uh, of course, lots and lots of, uh, of carriages on display, lots of military uh, specialities going on. And we'll be looking down uh, the river at that big uh, HMS Diamond ship as well. We'll be talking to Isabel Oakshot uh, right now. Let's talk a little bit about this uh, wokest University, the latest one on the list, Isabel. Uh, this is from the University of the Arts in London, where they tell staff that maternity applies to all genders, apparently. Uh, I presume this means that if you're a man uh, whose partner has decided to have a child, you can also get maternity leave. Well, yeah, it's otherwise known as paternity leave, because <laughs> that's what dads have. I mean, look, only women can have children. Yeah. So let's not dick around here. I mean, this stuff is completely ridiculous. Yeah. And we can all push back against it and treat it with the utter derision that it deserves. I mean, it, it's everywhere, isn't it, Mike? I yeah. used to, a few years ago, I used to be saying this is such a marginal issue. You know, all the trans stuff hardly affects anyone. It's unbelievable the way it's accelerated. Mm. So it's so pervasive in our culture uh, to the point you've got corporate big corporations who seem to think that it's incumbent on them to use trans models to try to sell things that are clearly for women um you know the nike advert for sports bras as exhibited by uh, this Mulvaney yeah. uh, person, you know, I, to, to me as a woman, I, I just find that kind of insulting. Yes. Well, it was a sort of pathetic advert in general. I think the funniest part of all of that story is that we believe now that Dylan Mulvaney may just be kind of on a money-making um, escapade pretending to be the individual that you see in that advert yeah, so that he right. can make a load of money out of it. And if well, so... very clever, very yeah. clever then. But unfortunately, it is quite corrosive on our culture. 
It really is. And I always used to have arguments with people who would say, well, why are you so bothered about it? Why does it matter what somebody wants to be called? Why does it matter if somebody wants to be called they? Or, Well, this is the reason, because it then becomes part of what is called normalised language and normalised society. And so you're not allowed to say certain things because they're accurate. And I also think it matters because, uh, and first and foremost, because of our children. Mm. You know, I've children aged 10 and 12, as well as a, an older teenager, and they're kind of bewildered about all of this. I mean, in a sense, they're not that bothered about it mm. at this stage because they're very confident that they're girls. You know, the girls are girls and my son is a boy um, and doesn't have any doubts about that. Yeah. But they're hearing a lot of this, they, them, you know, maybe I'm one thing, maybe I'm another around them. Mm. And they just find it quite confusing. And I think the idea that choosing your gender is some kind of lifestyle choice is a is a dangerous one you yes. know going down this route um whether it's first of all it starts off just by changing your so-called pronouns mm. and then maybe it's maybe i'll take some puberty blockers or whatever these are not minor decisions changing your pronouns is of course reversible uh, but taking very very powerful drugs has an effect mm. that is pretty difficult to unravel yes uh, and of course the next stage is surgery this is really, really serious stuff. People's lives are devastated by it after they go down this pathway and then realise it was mm. all a, te a terrible mistake. Yes. And I know so, you've done a lot of work into this as well. Uh, we're just seeing, yeah. by the way, Vladimir Zelensky's addressing The Hague at the moment after those uh, strikes in Ukraine, which were supposed to be in the retaliation for uh, the drone uh, attack or the attempted drone attack in Moscow. We'll come back to that in a moment. Let's talk about drugs this morning as well, though, because Telegraph uh, front page this morning, best ever Alzheimer's drug can halt disease. I was staggered to read some of the figures in this today uh, in which it says that Alzheimer's is now the main cause of death uh, for elderly people in this country and also the fact that the condition costs the country $34.7 annually. Yeah, I'm not actually surprised by that. And also with an ageing population, when you look at the projected cost of this to the NHS mm. and more broadly, they are staggering. Um, this is a really exciting um, clinical breakthrough, a new drug which uh, appears to slow the progression of Alzheimer's by up to a third. Uh, now, there are some concerns around side effects, quite serious um, issues came up during the trials. But it is probably, I think, the first drug that works in the way it does, rather than just dealing with the symptoms of Alzheimer's, uh, that actually slows down the pace at mm. which people are losing um, their cognitive abilities. So it's really, really exciting. It matters for all of us, this, uh, because so many of us will either develop Alzheimer's mm. or certainly know people or be, um, you know, have loved ones uh, that unfortunately develop Alzheimer's in older age. And also testing is getting a lot better uh, in terms of the, our ability to, to detect very, very far in advance whether people are likely uh, to develop the condition. So it's just kind of something positive mm. amidst all the negativity yes. that... Absolutely right. And just a quick a quick word, haven't got a lot of time on the COVID inquiry. Um, we spoke a bit about this last week and you were worried and you still are that it's descending into this kind of therapy group en masse. I really am. Um, but it will be interesting to see uh, in around a month now we have the first public evidence session. It's taken uh, the best part of two and, two and a bit years to actually get to the stage where the judge is able to take any evidence from witnesses 
Uh, and I look forward to that being something uh, that's actually illuminating rather than an operation to make f people feel better about what's happened. Yeah, absolutely right. Great to talk to you, Isabel. Thank you very much. We can see Isabel on Plank of the Week this week as well, of course. We'll give you details of that coming up a little bit later on. Um, right now, though, let's go live to The Hague and listen to what Volodymyr Zelensky has got to say. He's got a sign behind him saying, no peace without justice for Ukraine. Then there will be a tradition of guaranteed non-repetition of aggression. If we want true justice, we should not look for excuses and should not refer to the shortcomings of the current international law, but make, make bold decisions that, we, that will correct the shortcomings of those norms that unfortunately exist in international law. This is exactly what the creators of Nuremberg did. We should do the same now. It would be a weakness for you and for us and for all of the nations to live full justice only to history. It would be unfair to our children and our grandchildren to hand them problems that we can solve. That's what the tribunal is for. The, the sustainability of peace arises from the complete justice towards the aggressor. Ladies and gentlemen, it is wrong that someone in the world is still afraid to give full force to justice. You and I are not afraid, and I'm sure most of the world is not afraid. Vladimir Zelensky there addressing The Hague, uh, the International War Crimes Tribunal, of course, where he says and has said in the past that Vladimir Putin should be, uh, and he wants to see a different Vladimir. We'll bring you more on that coming up in the next hour uh, as we talk about that attack on the Kremlin, as we talk about the, um, uh, the retaliation in Ukraine as well. Um, this is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is, of course, uh, Coronation Week. And look what we have for you here, uh, the mall, uh, in all its splendour with all those Union Jacks. It's beautiful sunshine out there, uh, lovely greenery as well because spring has finally sprung. It is actually quite pleasant weather. Unfortunately, it does look as though it won't stay and hold until the weekend. But you know famously weather prediction in this country is not very easy to do and quite often they get it wrong. But we're being told that uh, the flypass may be in jeopardy now because you might not be able to see it because uh, it might be so horrible and rainy. But let's talk to our expert, our man at Westminster Abbey, Rupert Bell, uh, who's talks royal correspondent. Rupert, uh, resplendent uh, as you look there at that wonderful uh, sort of vantage point that you've got. Very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Yes, uh, Westminster Abbey behind me. I think the king is in town because he's having, in, well, in the abbey, that is, um, because I think he's having a last-minute rehearsal this morning um, before, because his diary... Uh, it's pretty chocker tomorrow with meets and greets and things. So I think he was here yesterday and I think again he's just going through one or two sort of procedures to make sure he knows which chair to sit on at which time and which set of robes to wear at which time, amongst well, other things. Well, I suppose, you know, like all these things, you, you know, you don't want to put a foot wrong. Um, and it's easy to do, isn't it? Because it is so specific. It is so kind of well orchestrated and choreographed that, that you've got to have it all in your head. And you know that there's billions of people watching you. Um, and it probably is a bit nerve wracking even for him. Well, that, well it will be. And it'll be. In, and also, 
you know, think about the emotional side of it as well, because, you know, yes, he's been looking very relaxed. We saw him at the uh, garden party yesterday, joking with people and, and looking as if he's enjoying the build-up. But actually, when it comes to the service, this is the big moment. It is the one that he's been waiting for. He was, you know, for 70 years, he's been the heir to the throne of this country. And finally, he will be formally crowned king. And that will be an emotional moment. We've seen the emotion that when he appeared at the state opening of parliament, the significance of that occasion when he stood in for his mother. So it really will be uh, an emotional moment. And I think he does show his emotion. So I'm sure the, the sort of, not necessarily the weight of history, but the significance of him finally being crowned king will mean an awful lot to him with his faith and aspects. So that's why he will want it to go without a hitch so that he can actually uh, realize and, and, and fulfill his, the, the sort of, in many ways, his, his date with God um, here in the Westminster Abbey. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, fantastic pictures again this morning of another rehearsal last night, which looks fabulous. It almost makes you want to have it happen actually at night because it really looks quite, quite impressive, doesn't it? Yeah, and I was uh, speaking to a friend of mine who's been working on the military side of uh, the, uh, the, the processions and, and coordinating some of the logistics and he watched it from the old war office building and he said as the procession came past and being a military man even the hairs on his back of his neck were standing on end because uh, as it came past and yes I know a couple of other friends who came into town to watch it as well and said it was just breathtaking even at that time of night and hopefully uh, if the weather's not too unkind to us it will look equally as breathtaking and everything is being rehearsed and I have been telling a story of a friend of mine who's part of the King's Guard who will be standing next to the King he has to stand more or less to attention for three hours and mm. he's been practicing doing that with a flower pot on his head wow. to uh, replicate the experience of having one of the hats that he'll be wearing so to make sure that he can and look we know it's quite difficult to stay still for two minutes, but mm. if you're basically standing to attention for, for three hours, uh, it, it takes a, a lot of a resolve and constitutional uh, effort to get it right. Yeah, absolutely. And we're told it's going to be the biggest security operation ever, including um, a rather interesting addition, which is sitting in the Thames, being called in the sun this morning the King's Shield, HMS Diamond, uh, which is a remarkable-looking vessel. Uh, doubles as a party boat, apparently, but can also pick a cricket ball-sized sort of uh, bomb out of the sky uh, at 250 miles. Well, um, I can assure you everything, you know, airspace, everything will be being thought of, including boats in the Thames, because yeah. we're not that far from the Thames, as you know, and every other aspect. There will be plainclothes policemen mingling with the crowd, uh, you know, uh, making sure that they, if they know of anybody who might be trying to cause a bit of prother, mm. they can zero in on them. It's a, such an extensive um, security operation. Every detail has to be thought of. Yes, indeed. And as far as the, um, uh, the protests are concerned, it looks as though <coughs> protesters are being told that police won't touch their banners uh, if they're denouncing the king, which I suppose is fair enough. I'm rather hoping that Britishness will win through and people won't be shouting slogans and they won't be trying to do anything too, too kind of um, aggressive. And if they want to hold a banner or two up, then so be it. I, would, I wish they wouldn't, but, you know, you can't really stop them. Um, but it does seem as though the police will be more... Uh, more sort of robust, shall we say, against the Just Stop Oil Brigade? Well, I'm hearing that Just Stop Oil may not be down here, but um, and one or two of the others, the Animal Rebellion, they may not be down here either. But well, the they lift, I think they lifted a few in. of the Just Stop Oil lot yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, indeed they did. But I think the, the main point is the police are saying 
you come down and demonstrate and I'm sure around Trafalgar Square there will be areas where you might find pockets of protest mm. but you know that's we are a free country but it's it, where the police are going to have to get the fine line is where is it deemed to be inappropriate protesting and overstepping the mark bearing in mind that the thousands who will be coming to watch the coronation um, will be probably be taking a pretty dim view to the protest so there's a sort of balancing act that needs to be negotiated by the police and, and indeed the security officials as well yes and any more news on prince harry we spoke about him yesterday nobody was quite sure exactly you know where he was going to be where he's going to be based uh, does, does anybody have any more info on him uh, I, all I know, um, we don't know his seating plan. I'm not privy to the royal seating plan. So, um, but all I know, he will be here. He said, he said he wants to be here um, and, uh, and fulfilling his constitutional obligation as fifth in line to the throne. So he will be here to see his father be crowned king. But then again, of course, as soon as that is over, he is expected to fly back to California to be at Archie's fourth birthday party. Yes, and, you know, good luck to him for that. But uh, what happens after the coronation, because you and I haven't really discussed the sort of the post-coronation scenario, um, after it's all over and done with and the pageantry stops, what, what, what goes on then? Uh, not a lot after three o'clock. Um, well, you, you mean apart from my show with Kevin O'Sullivan, you mean? Well, that, of course, will be the highlight yeah. of the day. Um, <laughs> and uh, everybody will be tuning into. Uh hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Um, I'm sure, but what it, basically, the fly pass is going to be around about, uh, two, I think, 2.30-ish. Okay. Um, and then after that, it's sort of... Um, get ready they probably all moved to Windsor getting ready for the concert on Saturday night yes. Sunday night so there won't be too much else after that but bearing in mind that some members of the congregation will be in in situ from seven o'clock mm. uh, the the non-VIPs are expected to be seated by nine o'clock tomorrow and so it's a and then obviously the procession and all that and then London will get back to a bit like normal in the evening and obviously the emphasis then shifts to not only the concert in Windsor on Sunday and then the street parties on, on Monday, but obviously uh, the beer industry will be busy. The uh, Prince and Prince of Wales, uh, Princess of Wales, they're heading off to a pub in Soho to have a, a pre-coronation pint. Yes, the dog and duck. a pint, probably. The do, do you know the dog and duck? I uh, do, I mean, yeah. You are, you are a man who knows. Uh, are you a frequenter regularly? Is it a good pub? It's not a place I've been to that recently, I have to say. Um, um, and I'm told it's a Nicholson's pub, so I'm sure it's quite quite ready for them and quite good. I mean, there's other places in Soho I could recommend if they uh, hang around a bit later on in the evening. <laughs> well, unfortunately, they may be busy uh, and having receptions to go to. But, um, yes, the dog and duck is going to... Because, bearing in mind, OK, you mentioned, you know, there's quite a lot of drinking going to be done over the weekend. Yeah. You know, you hear figures about how much it's going to be a boost to the hospitality industry. And that's probably one of the reasons why the Prince and Princess of Wales have deemed it um, probably appropriate to go to the, uh, the pub because obviously we do know uh, lots of pubs have been closing in this post-COVID environment, been very hard to make a living, but something like this weekend could be a boost 
to the, uh, the, the hospitality industry across the country. Absolutely right. I've got this from George of Croydon. He says, Mike, I'm getting ready for the coronation on Saturday. For lunch, I'll be having coronation chicken sandwiches, then the coronation quiche, finishing off with a slice of Victorian sponge which is all very good. Uh, what will you be having for lunch, he wonders? I'm not sure yet, George. Uh, I don't know about you, um, Rupert, but uh, you're going to be a very busy man from now until probably, what, sort of late Saturday afternoon. Uh, will you have time to eat lunch on Saturday? Uh, well, I, th I, I hope the good people looking after me will, will furnish me with um, uh, foods suitable for a coronation day. Cucumber uh, but sandwiches? I'll tell you what, I've eaten that. Well, I've eaten that coronation quiche. Um, if they don't mind, could I not have that? <laughs> I didn't like it. I'm, 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 I'm with the French on this. Yeah. Um, I'm, and you know, it's got broad beans. Well, broad beans aren't even in season yet. So right. uh, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of the quiche. I am a fan of coronation chicken, which yeah. of course was the recipe that came out in 1953. I'm not sure the Coronation Quiche will still be resonating with the public even seven weeks, yes. let alone 70 years like Coronation Chicken. Right. Well, I'm going to give you a small tip, which I learned when I was on the bus tour of London with the team from The Talk the other day, uh, and that is yeah. that in the Coronation of 53, the soldiers were all given something to keep them going because it wasn't very warm and it wasn't very nice weather, and it was a sugar cube dipped in brandy. So um, if, you, oh. if you feel like you're, uh, wait, you know, you're sort of uh, flagging at any point, uh, get your sugar cube out, stick it in the, t in the top of a, bra a brandy um, a bottle, and away you go. It keeps you going for hours. Oh, well, I, I'm, I didn't know that tip, but um, I will try it. It sounds absolutely perfect. And bearing in mind, <laughs> those service personnel, for then, if they were street lining, would have been in position for maybe five hours. Yeah. I think the street liners will be going in into position from about nine o'clock. And they will then be lining the street right through to the procession passes, uh, probably till 2.30. Mm. So they will be standing, uh, around, well, standing to attention uh, for some time mm. between, uh, you know, so you do need to make sure you've had your food before you go out on parade. Yes, absolutely right. We'll, we'll be looking forward to it as ever. Rupert, thank you very much indeed. Rupert Bell uh, talks royal correspondent outside Westminster Abbey. Uh, what a wonderful scene. And it will be, I mean, it will be very dependent on the weather, obviously, but we could hope, I think, that it doesn't rain because even though they say it will, and there's a pretty good chance that it will, I think they might have got it wrong. And the coronation is only here once every 70 years at the moment. So it would be good if the weather was a bit more cooperative, quite frankly. Coming up, uh, we'll explore some more on that story about why it cost 275,000 quid to send young offenders to prison uh, at this point, which is more expensive, six times more expensive than it would be to send them to Eton. Why not send them there instead? This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is Coronation Week, of course, two days to go uh, until the big moment. It's going to be uh, right here on Talk TV throughout the weekend, of course. Uh, you're going to have Rosanna Lockwood uh, and David Bull from 7am on Saturday. Uh, you're going to have uh, Sharon Osbourne and Vanessa Feltz from 10am uh, on Saturday all the way through until 3. And then you're going to have me and Kevin O'Sullivan from 3 o'clock in the afternoon until 7 o'clock. Uh, that's on Saturday evening uh, before you go down the pub and stay there till 1am. 
So it's going to be quite a day. It's going to be quite an ex explosive uh, day, I think, because people are going to be seeing all sorts of pageantry. We're seeing overnight some more rehearsals, more carriages, uh, more military precision, uh, and an incredible sight, I think, for an awful lot of people. You will see it for the first time, and possibly for the only time, because, of course, it may well be uh, that this is the last coronation, certainly, that I will see, and it's the first one as well. And for most people, I think that will be the case. Coming up in this hour, we're going to be talking to Bruno Peake, Royal Pageant Master, who is very much involved in the Queen's Jubilee celebrations last year and the lighting of the beacons uh, beginning at Windsor Castle. Right now, though, we're going to talk to Sir Simon May Mayle, KBE, former British Army officer, uh, because uh, we need to talk to him about what's going on uh, between Russia and Ukraine. We saw footage, did we not, um, uh, early this morning of the drone strike, which supposedly uh, was planned over the Kremlin. Many people now suggesting that, in fact, uh, the most likely place where that emanated from was actually uh, not very far from the Kremlin itself, and it was probably a sort of a Russian um, uh, dark art job, shall we say. Uh, and there's been some retaliatory strikes in Kiev, explosions heard there after Russia threatened that they would respond uh, in a very tough way. We've also had Vladimir Zelensky at The Hague talking this morning about justice for Ukraine, talking as well about the fact that uh, Vladimir Putin has been running war criminals and war crimes in Ukraine over the past several months. But let's talk to Sir Simon, uh, find out what's going on. Simon, a very good morning to you. Hi, hi, Mike. Very thanks nice for, to see you again. Yeah, thanks very much for joining us. I mean, I think there's a sort of universal agreement now that the uh, whatever that drone um, was that was hovering around around the Kremlin uh, was probably not actually uh, fired from anywhere near Ukraine and certainly probably was not controlled from anybody uh, in Ukraine. Uh, more than likely, it was a, a false flag operation. Uh, I, I think that appears to be the, the, the general consensus, Mike. Um, you know, the Russians have have form on this. Uh, on, on the one hand, it, it rather reveals a sort of rather humiliating uh, defensive lapse if, if you know, you were to accept the Russian, mm. uh, the Russian narrative. But on the other hand, you know, we've got to be conscious the, the Kremlin and Putin are going to have the, the great victory parade on Tuesday, uh, you know, that annual parade in Red Square. Yes. And there's a feeling that, you know, Putin is, is, is softening his people up for another mobilization or a distraction from, um, you know, the, the, the chaotic scenes that we've seen with Russian military capability in Ukraine. Yeah, absolutely. Context is important. Yeah, context is always important. I mean, one of the things that I was reading over the weekend, Colonel Richard Kemp, amongst those uh, authoring pieces in the papers, was that uh, Ukraine might not be doing as well in this war as we've been led to believe, and suggestions that perhaps the, the new offensive will have to be successful. Um, uh, otherwise, we don't really know what might happen. Well, I think that's a very fair assessment. Um, it's not a one-shot, this, but it's a very important uh, offensive when the Ukrainians do uh, embark on it. And it could come in all sorts of guises. Um, there'll be a lot of training and advisory support to the Ukrainians. But to keep Western solidarity, Western support, um, to justify, for some audiences, the commitment we've made to Ukraine uh, you know, on every level... Um, the Ukrainians do need to show that they're, they're, they remain up for the fight, mm. um, you know, because the consequences of Russian actions continue to reverberate around the world. And I was reading another one of those, um, a very interesting report on what the Russians might or might not have been doing in the North Sea, mm. uh, you know, targeting or potentially targeting or setting the conditions to target some of these really important 
communications and and energy pipelines we have you know crisscrossing the uh, that that part of the world yes. yeah because we were hearing uh, just a few weeks ago weren't we that there was a danger and certainly the norwegians are worried uh, about their national security in the sea because of what happened with the nord stream uh, pipeline as well yes well well and all the offshore wind farms which you know, in due course, due to supply, I, I understand 300 million people, or you name it, across Europe. Um, so huge advances, technologically fantastic, but huge vulnerabilities inevitably. And um, I think, uh, you know, NATO planners and national governments will be really focusing on this. So, again, the context is is much bigger than just Ukraine, um, even though we're focusing on that and, and the, the drone strike uh, yesterday or last night. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as the um, the general sort of principles are going, uh, because we've sort of taken our eye off, off, off Kiev and off, off Ukraine really in recent weeks, I suppose, for a number of reasons. Um, militarily, what's the situation? Because we were hearing that as the weather would improve, uh, there was going to be a, um, a Ukraine-inspired sort of fight back to take back parts of the eastern Ukraine that Russia had, had sort of got its hands on. Is that still, are we still waiting for that to happen? Yes, and I, and I think we need to. And as I say, Zelensky and the Ukrainians do want to show that the support they're getting from the West, they might say it's a little bit less than they'd have wanted, is, is justified. Um, it's good weather for offensives, um, but equally the Russians have had time to, to dig in. And at the end of the day, it's going to take either a collapse of the Russians or some collapse in the Kremlin mm. for, for the Russians to probably leave um, uh, to leave the Donbass. Yes. Um, and you need a sort of three to one advantage. So wherever the, uh, the wherever the Ukrainians attack, they will need to build up a, a sort of force ratio there that will allow them to give some significant breakthrough that is more than just a tactical success, has mm. some strategic operational um, implications for the Russians and their and, and I suppose Russian public support for the continuing war. Yes. And I mean, do you see any way by which if that was to happen, if there were to be an offensive that was successful from Ukraine's perspective, that Russia would just walk away? Because my fear would be that they would come back at some point. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Mike. I, I, I don't think we should underestimate how much skin in the game Putin has, you know, his supporters. But equally, the Russians, they're very, very proud people. They've mm. uh, you know, historically put up with the most extraordinary amount of hardship. Uh, and they will feel very strongly uh, that the, you know, their armed forces are being humiliated and Russia's being humiliated. So we shouldn't underestimate the capacity for Putin. And, you know, this, if we accept it, maybe a false flag operation goes towards building mm. Putin's narrative that Russia's under attack, the West are ganging up another sense of we mustn't be humiliated. So, um, but interestingly, you know, historically, we have seen armies collapse because soldiers are not prepared to fight and die for the cause that they thought yes. they were going to. And Wagner Group, are, you know, taken huge casualties. I think there's a lot of splits within the within the command chain. I think the commanders are probably pretty disillusioned, and I think many of the conscripts who've been mobilised um, are are not entirely convinced mm. about the cause when they're faced with the reality of combat. No, quite. Let's switch to the matters closer to home. Um, a fabulous uh, read this morning in The Sun about uh, HMS Diamond, which is the new King's Shield, as it's being called in the newspaper. Um, basically, it's, a, it's the sort of latest in the high-tech world of war, um, but it also doubles as a sort of party boat, so, so that's all good. So if you're not firing any Sea Viper missiles or Sea <laughs> Scepter missiles, you can have a couple of glasses of uh, champagne on there. Well, they always have done, Mike. You know, this is a bit of sovereign British territory. You sail around the world, you know, you put ministers on it, ambassadors can host counterparts. Um, when I was the defence senior advisor in the Middle East, I was all for 
very aggressively using our naval assets as a sort of soft soft power tool. That's yeah. very traditional, but it is a highly capable vessel. It's specifically an anti-aircraft defense system, so it's part of the layered defense uh, for His Majesty's coronation. Um, uh, you know, well, I love the fact that it's parked in the Thames and it will be probably <laughs> being used for hospitality purposes. But at the same time, um, it can fire. Its radar range goes around the curvature of the Earth. Um, it can detect and track a thousand stealth targets the size of a cricket ball. I mean, it's remarkable. It is a remarkable. Well, <laughs> it's a lot of taxpayer investment in there. So I hope <laughs> it's remarkable. And it's a magnificent sight just watching a diamond coming into position. Type 45 uh, Type 45 frigate, um, very much pride of the pride of the Royal Navy, one of six of its class, uh, and uh, not only will it do a a, a, a sterling defence and security role, as you say, it's a great sight for the British public. It's a mm. great sight for visitors to London. It's uh, absolutely right that the Royal Navy, the senior service, are parading one of their um, one of their fine vessels yes. in the heart of the nation's capital. And also, I'm very much looking forward to all the military regalia and all the military precision that we're going to see over the next few days, because the military really does make this all work like clockwork, doesn't it? Well, you know, again, we, we will have our security role there. We'll have our pageant role. We are His Majesty's Armed Forces. My own regiment, the first, the Queen's Green Guards, will be parading. They'll be behind the household division because they are His Majesty's troops. But as the senior regiment of the line, the Welsh Cavalry, um, the colonel of the regiment, of which I was originally colonel of the regiment for a while, three officers and 24 young men, mostly from uh, mostly from Wales, will, mm. will be very proudly parading. And I think it'd be a magnificent display and a great reminder of our wonderful history and yeah. our very, very close links to uh, to the royal family. Absolutely. Uh, great sight, a great sight for the British people, a great sight for everybody who comes to London to view the, cor the coronation. Yes. Without being too nosy, Sir Simon, have you got any great plans for the weekend? <laughs> the the uh, it won't be lazy. I wish I to an extent. I wish I was still in London. I'm going to the uh, the wedding of my godson, uh, who is an officer in my regiment, oh, old regiment, first Queen's Green Guards. Oh, that would be lovely. Well, well, I will be watching with huge interest and great pride and great loyalty. I'll, I'll have no problem making my allegiance to uh, His Majesty. Well done. So Simon Mail KBE, brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Former British Army officer, of course, talking about the importance of the military in what we were about to see this weekend. The royal rehearsals are ongoing. Uh, the military precision, uh, I have to say, during the Jubilee uh, and during the, and the funeral of, of Queen Elizabeth II, I mean, it was just extraordinary some of the um, precision and the work that they put in to make it all go so smoothly. And that will be the same uh, as we will see this weekend as well, I'm sure. A couple of tweets on the prison service. Uh, how about this from Gareth? He says, I was in the prison service for 25 years. We wasted money on young offenders. However, I knew countless lads that just wanted some kind of discipline and would have loved the armed services to look after them. However, society, unfortunately, doesn't believe in it. Um, and Andy from Thatcham says, Mike, listen to the news. Why can forecourt retailers keep diesel prices artificially high when at the barrel it's 6p a litre cheaper? Well, that's a very good question. Maybe a question uh, for Ross Clark, who we're getting on a little bit later on. Uh, we'll find out just why it is that the free market in petrol and diesel appears to never really benefit the consumer. So if you're actually buying it, you're always getting screwed. It's that simple. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are at, now, of course, into the afternoon, so we're even closer uh, to the day, uh, a sea day, you might call it, Coronation Day, uh, which is on Saturday, of course. Uh, watch it right here on Talk TV because we're going to be all over it. 
starting at seven in the morning uh, all the way through until seven at night. We'll tell you exactly what the details of that are uh, coming up. In this hour, we're going to talk to Ray Haydel Manku, historian, broadcaster and senior fellow at the New Culture Forum. Um, the question we'll put to him, has Britain fallen out of love with the monarchy? I don't think it has. Some people uh, think that youngsters in this country, 18 to 24-year-olds, are not as excited about the monarchy as perhaps older people are. But that I'm not surprised about. That's probably always been the case. But the coronation, I think, will bring everybody together. And what's going on today as well, uh, there's been a lot of rehearsals overnight. Uh, the dog and duck in Soho is where crowns are currently piling up because they're waiting right now to see the arrival uh, of the Prince and Princess of Wales, William and Kate. And we have, of course, our man on the scene, Oliver Whitfield Mircic, who's down there for Talk TV, right in the heart of Soho. Oliver, very good afternoon to you. What a nice spot to be. Yes, it's a beautiful spot. The sun is shining, excitement is building. Of course, two days go until the big day, the coronation of His Majesty the King. And today we are expecting in the next half an hour to see the Prince and Princess of Wales, William and Kate, coming to the Dog and Duck pub here. The unusual move by Kensington Palace to pre-announce that they were visiting has meant that we've now got quite a few hundred people who are lining the streets of Soho, all trying to catch a glimpse of William and Kate when they arrive. They're here though for quite an important visit. They're meeting the pub's landlords, the people who are inside, and of course when this long weekend kicks in, plenty of us are expected to head to our local pubs and inns. The British Beer and Pub Association says that it expects that pubs up and down the country will take in around £120 million this bank holiday weekend. They expect £62 million to be pulled and then sunk by punters. Wow, that's an awful lot of money coming into the old economy, isn't it? And the Dog and Duck is one of many pubs in Soho. Um, I don't suppose you can probably tell me the answer to this, but I wonder why they picked that particular pub uh, or whether or not, um, you know, it was because it, with, as, as with all things connected to the royal family, you have to be so careful uh, where you actually are seen going, don't you? I'm not too sure why they have selected this pub. It's run by a pub chain. I think one of those pub chains is a yes. member of the British Beer and Pub Association. I think it's all linked to the fact that not only is the public getting excited for the coronation, despite the fact that there is going to be that protest by Republic, they say that they're going to have at least a thousand people on the streets. Mm. I think the royal family is also keen to show that while, yes, these celebrations are costing money, there will be money that is then regenerated back into the public purse. And actually, it can have a positive economic impact for various sectors, not only hospitality, but travel, tourism as well. And it looks as though uh, there's a pretty popular looking crowd there. Um, so talk of, you know, the royal family not being quite as relevant as they were. I think will disappear as we get closer and closer to the day itself, won't it? Well, I think it's a, it's a split, isn't it? We've got those various polls that have come out. The latest one showing that 6 in 10 people are now in favour of the Royals. There was one previously that showed 54% were against. It's one of those things, though, isn't it? A lot of people are going to want to watch that moment of history as it mm. unfolds on Saturday. We typically in England don't really make a big thing, big big deal of things, do we, until the day arrives. And sometimes yeah. we all get swept up in that emotion and that <laughs> excitement. But I've got to say, look, the, the crowds here, there are quite a few young'uns who are here. Generally, though, it's those who are above 40 and quite a lot of people who are tourists as well. Mm. well 
brilliant end to their trip yeah. coming here and then Absolutely. seeing the next in line to the throne. Absolutely right. I think they'll love it. Well, listen, we'll come back to you, Oliver, uh, when uh, things start to hot up a bit later on this hour. Oliver Whitfield Mircic there, uh, Talk TV's very own man outside the Dog and Duck. What a great name for a pub. I mean, you'd think it was fictional, uh, it's that good, but it's not, it's real. Uh, Prince William and Prince uh, Kate, Princess Kate will be there, uh, we think, within the next half an hour or so. But right now, let's go to Rafe Hadel Manku, historian, broadcaster, senior fellow at the New Culture Forum. Um, and I'll put it to you, Rafe, a very good afternoon to you, that, you know, I don't think Britain has fallen out of love with the monarchy. And I think um, these kinds of events always show you that there's a lot more love for the monarchy than, than you read on a daily basis in The Guardian. Yeah, you couldn't have put it better, Mike. The, the, the monarchy still got huge support in this country, and you're going to see that on, on, on Saturday when hundreds of thousands of people descend upon uh, Westminster Abbey in Buckingham Palace to see this great pageant. Uh, contrast that with the, the motley crew of the miserable folk from Republic, the <laughs> anti-monarchist anarchist, uh, anoraks who are always present at these events and looking very glum. And the, the, the difference in size between those tells you all that you you need to know. Mm. You know, Ipsos Mori for the last 30 years has polled the British nation on their support for the monarchy, and it's been their single most constant answer that they've ever had in history. And there have been some low points in the 90s, some, some high points around the Golden and Diamond Jubilees, but it's never really varied from between 65 to 75%, and we're, we're still at that level now, uh, same sort of level it was in, in the 90s as well. So the monarchy goes... From you know, it ebbs and flows, but it never really loses the support of the vast majority of this nation. And interestingly, Lord Ashcroft recently did a poll on the, the support for the monarchy in Britain, the biggest poll done since the funeral of the Queen, and two thirds of Republicans admitted that it works very well. Only one third of them thought that there would be any practical benefits to it coming. The other two thirds simply didn't like the idea of a hereditary monarchy, mm. despite the fact that around the world, monarchies are actually the world's most advanced, most progressive, most democratic and most egalitarian countries. Yes. Belgium, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, uh, Canada, Australia, Britain. None of these countries are living in the past or old fashioned. These are cutting edge countries and actually they're the most socially progressive too. Mm, absolutely right. It's interesting as well that some countries in the Commonwealth um, and countries which are currently under um, sort of, uh, the head of state rule with uh, the royal family are, th are reconsidering their uh, position and their relationship with the United Kingdom and with the royal family as well. More and more of them seem to be keen to sort of break away a little bit. Yeah, well, this, the unfortunate element here, I think, is that the, um, let's say, critical race theory and, and uh, the current orthodoxy that our elites seem to go by has affected a lot of the Caribbean states, yes. uh, particularly being so pr the proximity to America. They now see monarchy as being at the apex of uh, of patriarchy and white privilege and the stain of slavery. And no one is actually out there making the case, saying that you know King George the Third wrote an, an essay condemning slavery. Uh, it was the it was the Royal Navy that stopped the slave trade. No one ever makes any of those arguments. You know, of all uh, wherever you go in the world, it's mm. former British colonies that are actually the most developed, the most stable, the most democratic, and that's because of their inheritance from from Britain and the stability that mm. that monarchy brings. So that's one of the that's one of the disadvantages there. In terms of Canada and Australia, it's mass migration that also has a big issue. Huge influx of people who don't have any connection to the monarchy. They're, those countries used to be primarily 
populated by people from the British Isles. Yeah. There's a natural shift there. People just don't understand the monarchy because they're not taught about it. No, quite. And do you think it's a bit of a fashion statement then, more than anything else, and that it might, with time, depending on how soon these things happen, uh, it might sort of just go away and it, people might go, actually, are you sure we want to do this? Yeah, well, actually, if you, if you look at, at the actual results of Lord Ashcroft's poll, it shows that the British... The traditional British population hasn't wavered at all in its support for the monarchy. Mm. There are two. There are two changes. One is the youth of today have never been more republican than at any point in history. And as we know full well, uh, the youth of today are not becoming more conservative or more, more right wing as they grow, as they grow older for various reasons. Uh, and it's hardly to, to be surprised, you know, when fewer than ten percent of teachers today uh, vote for conservative or centre right parties. And there's an increasingly radical politics that uh, teachers seem to be displaying, it's no coincidence that their students are reflecting perhaps uh, more Republican views. And also what Lord Ashcroft's poll shows is that whilst the overwhelming majority of, of white Britain support the monarchy, Asians favour a, re a republic by a slight majority, and then the black British support a republic by quite a large number. Mm. And so this migration and the failure to teach our children that are actually the two driving forces that are making the traditional polls a little bit out of kilter. Yes. And I suppose you might take it all back down the road of the new elite, the new liberal elite um, that people like Matt Goodwin talk about and the people who not only populate the schools and the universities of this country, but who populate high levels uh, in the civil service, who populate high political positions, uh, who populate all sorts of kind of, you know, what you might call lefty establishment areas, uh, which control an awful lot of what we do. Yeah, as with so many other aspects of our life and arguments, you know, be it, you know, just stop oil and extinction rebellion to, uh, to, to, to Brexit and so forth. It is the, the it is the, the true privileged elite of this country, the ones who hold the hold the, the reins of power, mm. unlike the monarch who simply who simply reigns. Um, that have these, they have, that have these, uh, uh, let's say, untrad untraditional views, and a lot of it comes down to this failure to uh, of people with big egos to uh, think that they should bow to another person. What actually deference is about respecting the office and the institution. It's not Charles Windsor that we're showing deference to. It's the crown. Mm. It's the, the, the life force of the state from which all authority uh, and legitimacy emanates. And, you know, and if people with big egos like Winston Churchill had no problem showing deference to the monarch. Yeah. I don't see what our politicians have to do. <laughs> no, exactly right. Got a good question here from Matt, who says, can any anti-royalists explain how their, mine or anyone's lives will be improved by getting rid of the royal family? Um, and that's one of the things they don't do. They just say, oh, we don't need them, or they cost too much. But they don't actually say how much better life would be without them, because I don't think it would be. Well, as I've just said, you know, around the world, monarchies are the most progressive and advanced. Every year, the United Nations lists its Human Development Index of the world's best country and uh, countries. And every year, monarchies dominate the top list of that. Uh, it's an undeniable fact that you know monarchies don't in any way uh, detract from the ability of a society to be prosperous and to advance. And actually, you know, we are, we should celebrate the fact that we are the world's oldest continuous democracy and that's because of the stability of our institutions and that stability comes from them from the monarchy and you know we, we've seen in uh, recent months the turmoil in politics when we had three prime ministers in the space of a few weeks i'm sure we don't want to go down no. that path on a, on but a you know we survived it as we always do and nothing 
fell off it off the countryside and you know we didn't lose any wheels and we didn't fall into the ocean and here we still are being able to talk freely unlike uh, in ireland uh, let me just finish off with a bit of ireland uh, and what's going on there because apparently uh, they've introduced something called or are about to introduce something called the criminal justice bill uh, which will make it illegal to possess likely hate crime material including um material on a computer that could incite hatred against someone's gender or religion which seems to me to be a pretty wide area yeah, I mean, this this really is the stuff of, you know, dystopian nightmares. You can sort of imagine this featuring in some, I don't know, Mad Max futuristic film about a horrific world in the, you know, in the future. Yeah. But it is happening right around us. In fact, it's, it's, well, let's, let's be frank, it's the criminalization of thought. And it's not just me saying that. Uh, uh, Paul Murphy, an Irish socialist politician, said this is thought crime. Mm. It's, you know, I, it's 1984. Uh, is in fact 2023, yeah. and uh, you know basically I think it's just a, it's just another sinister attempt. We're talking about elites. It's another sinister attempt to ban opinions mm. that um, contradict elitist orthodoxy. And you know, for a country that's you know abandoned the Catholic Church in recent years, mm. what it's also doing is it's making uh, protected characteristics something you can't go into. So you can't criticize religion or belief. Mm. It's reintroducing blasphemy laws, of yes. course. In, into 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 Ireland, but most, as you said, the worst thing of all, the most horrendous thing, it's a crime to just possess material, a, a meme on your computer, or even a history book. So imagine a Jewish historian who has hundreds of books on the Second World War. Mm. He would be a criminal for possessing a copy of Hitler's Mein Kampf. Yes, incredible. And we all like to share. We all like to share memes on you know on Twitter, and so you know they're sort of the the modern version of the 18th century Gilray satirical cartoons, poking fun at anything that takes too much seriousness mm. in itself. Now that will be not just sending it, but just merely receiving and possessing it. I think it's outrageous. It really is. Even Elon Musk is having a go at it, saying that it's a massive attack on freedom of speech. And we'll see where that all ends up. But since we're talking of uh, Orwellian dystopian societies, I've got this uh, from Trev, who says, by the way, the dog and duck was George Orwell's favourite pub. Make of that what you will. <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, all I'll say on that, George Orwell said about English intellectuals, that they're the only people in the world who would be happier to, to steal from a church poor box and to stand up for God save the king. So yes, there we go. <laughs> exactly right. Maybe that's why they've picked it. Uh, Rafe, very good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Rafe Haydel Mancou, a historian, thoughtful character as well, broadcaster, senior fellow at the New Culture Forum. We're going back to the dog and duck. I don't know if it's George Orwell's favourite place. Uh, we'll find that out uh, from our reporter down there, of course, Oliver. Uh, but, but later as well, uh, we're going to be talking to um, Ross Clark about what in earth is going on with the ULES. Because finally, some Conservative MPs have decided to get behind uh, a campaign against Sadiq Khan. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.